Hi, uh, welcome. Uh, welcome to Theology and Tab for the first night of one of five, next five weeks in a row. We're very excited to have you here. I am super blessed to be the MC for the series. I'm Alec. I am a member of the planning committee for Theology and Tap. Uh, I've been, uh, this is my fifth or sixth series I think I've been a part of. Uh, so this is an event series that I am truly blessed to be a part of and is a really passion, passion for me and a call to bring people closer to Christ and build community amongst this. So thank you for all again for being here and I look forward to seeing many more of these faces. Our series for this uh, for the winter is called by name. We have some wonderful prayer cards in front of you that denote as to uh, why we have chosen this, but a wonderful group of young adults uh, that are sitting amongst you. Uh, I won't make them get up and awkwardly uh, announce them and, and give them recognition, but they're at the tables amongst you that have done a wonderful job over the last handful of months to make sure this, and have really put a lot of thought into these topics, into these speakers, and inviting these individuals here to really uh, share some great words and bring us all, again, all closer to, again to Christ. So again, a lot of thought went into this, and spe specifically, identity. We all went around the room, and we're really like, what are young adults craving right now? What, what are we craving in our own lives? And I think the common elements that really came across was this topic of identity. And so that can come across in so many different ways and different facets. Uh, but these four topics emerged, but with the central one being where is identity and where, are we, where, where should it be rooted in? Similar to our patron saint, who, again, as I said on your prayer card in front of you, that's also the patron for our series, uh, Mary Magdalene. As one, uh, I won't go into complete depth because uh, you can read more on the card, but as one that whose life was rooted in sin, um, and then eventually a transformation occurred that eventually became rooted in Christ. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, and we chose her specifically because of our, our unanimous theme that we all decided upon. So, all right. Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce our speaker tonight. Uh, I, this is my parish priest and a mentor of mine. And so without further introduction, I'll share Father Andrew is the pastor of St. John the Baptist Catholic Church here in Fort Wayne and is the vocations director for our diocese. He is a native of South Bend. Father Andrew grew up at Holy Family Parish, attended the University of Notre Dame, and while a parishioner at St. Pius in Granger, he sensed a call to the priesthood. His 15 minutes of fame was as the leprechaun mascot for, the Notre, Dame, for Notre Dame during his junior and senior years. However, he is extremely sensitive about his leprechaun-like height and baldness and doesn't like to talk about this dark period of his life. Immediately, he wrote this, not me. I'm, so, uh, <laughs> immediately before entering seminary, Father Andrew worked in the radio industry in South Bend. It was the perfect storm of spinning Mbop by Hanson Brothers and If You Want to Be by the Spice Girls. Every night that convinced him he was called to a different life. Without further introduction, Father Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation to Theology on Tap, because I love theology, and I love what's on tap. Um, it, it is kind of true, though, about the radio thing. I wanted to be in radio in the worst way possible, and um, I grew up listening to these talk show hosts out of uh, Chicago, and these were guys that just goofed around for four or five hours and just told jokes and did funny comedy bits and had huge audiences and everything. And I said, I want to do that. There was one in particular I listened to, Kevin Matthews out of Chicago. And then I went into radio and it's, it's, it's like, if you want to be a like talk show host in a big city, you may as well want to be a quarterback in the NFL because that's about how many jobs there are. And I, I realized quickly, I, I suck at this. I can't do this. So <laughs> this is an awful segue. So I became a priest instead. Um, and then, lo and behold, um, I'm watching an interview one of my former coworkers gave with Kevin Matthews, that DJ that I mentioned. And he grew up Catholic, but had really fallen away from the faith. And he had a huge reversion back to the faith, specifically through Mary and the rosary. Then he came to Fort Wayne, and he had heard through a priest friend how I grew up like idolizing him, wanting to be him, and 
and just follow in his footsteps. And he says, I, I, I need to meet Father Andrew. I need to meet Father Andrew. So I go and meet him and we're hanging out. And he's like, give me your cell phone number and blah, 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 blah. He's not a DJ anymore. You know, he's just doing evangelization work. But it's like, I don't know, like who, think of who your childhood idol was. All right. And then think about like, if they became Catholic and like on fire Catholic, and then you got to be friends with them and you exchange like my secretary, Karen, uh, she grew up loving Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. So I tell her, it's like if Steve Irwin became Catholic and then you became friends and you exchanged numbers and could talk. Anyway, none of that's in the talk. I'm just saying that. Sorry. All right. But yeah, I am kind of here because radio, whew, that was a tough gig. That was a tough gig. Let's begin reading scripture. We've got uh, the Gospel of John here. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire and they will be burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Remain in me. It, it's just repeated over and over and over again. And everything I'm sharing with you is like nothing of my own creation. It largely comes from a program called IPF, the Institute for Priestly Formation. Has anybody ever heard of the Institute for Priestly Formation? So what we do is our seminarians, after they complete philosophy studies, they go to Omaha, Nebraska, to the Institute for Priestly Formation, and it's eight or nine weeks of just being formed in the spiritual life. And so I got to take part in a different program of theirs, um, a spiritual director training program. And so pretty much everything I'm sharing with you tonight is from that IPF tradition, including this amazing little schema here. Uh, which they taught me, and I've never forgotten it, and I share it like with people all the time. How many of you have ever heard of this relationship identity mission schema just by a show of hands? Great, good. So remember these words of Jesus, remain in me. So the overarching, so it's called by name, and then I notice identity is in each of the things. And like you were saying, we have an identity like crisis, you know, as human beings, we need to relearn what it is to be a human being again. And I'm absolutely convinced that the number one thing that can help us rediscover our true identity is prayer, is prayer, okay? And living in relationship with God. So remain in me. We find our identity by remaining in Jesus. And then those first three letters, remain in me, can be used to stand for relationship, identity, mission. Now, this is key. It goes in that order. Relationship, identity, mission. So first, we live in relationship with the Lord. We live in relationship with the Lord. We speak to him. He speaks to us. We're in his presence. He's with us. We just remain in him. We live in relationship with the Lord. And then, out of that relationship, we receive our identities. We are beloved sons, beloved daughters of the Father. 
We're brothers and sisters of Christ. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. When we live in relationship with the Lord every day through prayer, through being in his presence, through the sacraments, through charitable acts and works towards one another with neighbor, when we live in relationship with the Lord, from that relationship we receive our identity. And our core identity is who we are in relationship to the Lord. Our core identity isn't, of course, you know, I'm an American, or I'm a Republican or Democrat, or I'm this ethnicity, or I'm the son or daughter of this family, I'm wealthy, I'm poor. That's not our core identity. Our core identity is we are beloved sons and daughters of God. Then we are equipped for mission. So if we live in relationship with the Lord, we're given our identity. And that identity helps us go on mission. Now, the thing is, most people in the world reverse the order of these things. Most people in the world say, give me a mission. Give me something to do. Give me something to accomplish. Something that I can be successful in. And then I'll have an identity. I'm accomplished. I'm successful. And then I'll be equipped for relationship. People will like me. She will find me attractive. He will find me attractive if I fulfill the mission. Is this making sense? The problem is, what happens if the mission fails? We lose our identity. But if you live in relationship with the Lord and receive your identity as a beloved son or daughter, the mission comes afterwards. So even if the mission fails, your identity is not obliterated. You remain a beloved son, beloved daughter, always. One time, um, when they were getting ready to teach this at IPF, it was actually right before then, there was a priest of our diocese who, you know, he was getting close to retirement age, but his mind started to falter a little bit at first, you know? And he had to have a deacon assist him at Mass because he could do Mass, but he just needed a little help. His illness was progressing a little bit more and more. And then um, one day, he processed up for Mass, venerated the altar, went to the chair, and then he whispers to the deacon, what do I do now? And the deacon said, the sign of the cross. And so then Father said, the sign of the cross. You know, it like, it, he was, that's how much he had forgotten. And when I heard that story, I was horrified. I was horrified. And I remember in my prayer saying to the Lord, Lord, can you just, all, all I want to do is I just want to be a priest. I want to know I'm a priest. Near the end, this, this man didn't even know he was a priest anymore. And I said, I, I, I just would like to say Mass every day. Wouldn't that please you, Lord? That's a noble thing to ask for. I would just like to have my wits and my faculties good enough to be able to say Mass every day. And my staff would say that's my current status. But anyway, that was my prayer. I would say, Lord, just, I, that's all I want. That's all I ask for. And then I heard this talk about relationship, identity, mission at IPF. And I realized, oh, wait a minute. The mission for that particular priest, in a sense, you could say, uh, failed. He was unable to say Mass. He was even incapable of knowing who he was. Like I said, when I heard that, it just horrified me. It would just, 
it still, I have to confess, it would bring me pain. It, it brings me pain now to think there could be a day where I wouldn't know I was a priest and like had no recollection of my priestly life, things like that. But nevertheless, even though, as it were, the, the mission failed, his memory left him. He still had his identity. He was a priest, not because of what he does. He's a priest because of who he is. He was ordained a priest, the bishop laid hands on him, and this man was changed forever, configured to be a priest of Jesus Christ forever. So he entered into that relationship, he received his identity, and no matter what happened after that, no matter how the mission went, he never stopped being a priest. Even when he didn't know he was a priest, he still was a priest. And then after I heard this talk about relationship, identity, mission, my prayer changed. I said, Lord, I, I still want to say Mass every day. <laughs> I don't want to forget I'm a priest, but now I realize I can receive even that, and I would still be your priest. Like, I don't have to earn my identity as a priest by doing things for you, Lord. You give me my identity because you've called me by name, because you've ordained me. Yeah, it's a struggle for a lot of us in today's culture because our identity is wrapped up completely in what we do. I was working with a friend one time who was a coach, and then they couldn't coach anymore, and they didn't know what they were going to do because their entire identity was their coaching. And so we, we had to have this talk, and he really did come to receive and understand he is a beloved son of God. And that is the most important thing. And therefore, it's okay for him to, to lose the coaching, you know, because he cannot lose his identity because he cannot stop being a beloved son or daughter of the Father. So as you search for your identity, do so in that order. Focus on living in relationship with God through prayer, through the sacraments, through works of charity, works of mercy. Focus on your relationship with God. When guys first go to the seminary, I tell them, hey, for the first two years, you don't even need to worry about asking God the question, am I called to be a priest or not? Am I called to be a priest or not? Just focus on living in relationship with Jesus. Discovering your vocation will not make you happy. Friendship with Jesus will make you happy. And it's out of friendship with Jesus that our vocations naturally be known. Sometimes we can treat Jesus like the friend who has a lake house. You got a lake house. I'm going to be friends with you so I can be at the lake house. Lord, you're omniscient. You know everything. I'm going to be friends with you so I can know my vocation. When I was a kid, you know, the priest always said, pray to know your vocation. And it's, it's obviously not bad advice, right? I'm not trying to say they're wrong. But actually, just, you know, pray to live in relationship with, with God. Because God is not a means to an end. You know, we can treat God like a vending machine. I'm going to put in my quarters of prayer so that I can receive from you, Lord, the information I want to know about my vocation. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Finding out your vocation is actually not the most important thing. Just being with me is the most important thing. Live in relationship with me. And Jesus is not an ogre, you know? Out of that friendship, he is going to gift us with our mission. So live in relationship with the Lord if you want to find your identity. The Gospels for the last two Sundays are fantastic for this. The Sunday before last, we heard from John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. Beholding is, it's the most important thing you can do in life. 
because the holding is all about looking upon that which is greater than us and receiving instead of us pretending we're greater than something else and just making things happen. When you behold, it's to hold that other with one's eyes. The words even in there, hold, right? So to behold the Lamb of God means not just to look at, not just to think about, not just to ponder for a moment, but to actually look upon deeply when parents hold their babies for the first time. And it may be a moment where no words can do anything to kind of capture this. You just have to behold them. When you go to Eucharistic adoration, it's just to behold the Lamb of God. And then this past Sunday, we hear Jesus call the disciples by name. And he just says, come after me. He doesn't give them an instruction. He doesn't give them a method. He says, come after me. Be with me. All right. And what I want to do is just kind of share with you how I pray. This doesn't mean it's the only way to pray or the, the right way or best way to pray. Oh, right before we flip over. Sorry, flip back. I just heard you all flip your pages. All right. Oh, beholding relationship identity. The desert fathers had this great saying, we become what we look upon. We become what we look upon. And so when we behold the Lamb of God, when we look upon him in personal prayer, or we look upon him in the scriptures, or we look upon him in the sacraments, or when we look upon him in our brothers and sisters, especially the poor, when we look upon the other, we become the other. Have you noticed that like you guys are becoming more and more like each other by just being around each other all the time? When I was in seminary, we had guys from down south, um, Louisiana, Texas, uh, Tennessee, and I noticed more and more time I spent with them, more and more I started talking like them. Dadgum. So anyway, you become what you look upon. All right, now flip on over. No, no, go back, go back, go back. All right. Personal prayer down there at the beginning, at the bottom. Okay. So three things I want to say, and these are things that have been taught to me about when you pray. First thing when you go to pray, and this, I'm talking about, you know, St. Paul says pray always, and that means just remaining in the Lord, abiding in his presence, just realizing he is always there with me. I am always with him. But when you are going for like specific personal prayer time, like let's say it's to a chapel or a church or in your room, things like this, where you're, you're not doing anything else and you're just kind of like available to the Lord in uninterrupted prayer. I want you to do these things, or I want to suggest doing these things. Number one, say hello. And it doesn't mean you have to literally say the word hello. You can, and I sometimes do. Or, good morning, Lord. What this does is it, it is relationship. I know it sounds cheesy, right? I walk into the church. And I go to make a holy hour, and I, I sit down, and I'll say, good morning, Lord. Good morning, Jesus. Hello. And, you know, it can just sound like, oh, that's nice. That's sweet. Okay, good. But actually, what it does is it reminds me prayer is not just holy activity. It's not just pious action. It's not just something I, I do in the presence of Jesus while he looks on, but rather it is actual relationship. It is actual conversation with the Lord. So like when I go into the church at St. John's or the chapel and I sit down and there's the tabernacle, first thing I do is I say, good morning, Lord. Hello. 
because it is actually a living person there with me. Before I heard this, I real well, when I heard this, I realized that for most of my life, most of my prayer was just holy activity, just pious action. It wasn't really talking to the Lord, it was talking about the Lord. It wasn't sharing my mind with the Lord, it was thinking about the Lord. Wow, the Lord, you know, does these amazing things. I especially notice this in my journaling. So many times, most days, after I pray, I'll journal some things. I'll just write some things down. And if you were to look at my journals from 10 years ago, they would say things like, the Lord is good. But now if you look at my journals, it says, you are good. See the difference? So when you go to pray, try just saying, good morning, Jesus. Hello, Jesus. And sometimes it's not even like the articulated word or sentence in the brain, but just the disposition, you know? I realized that much of my prayer, I was more like a child playing on the floor of the living room while the parent does, in fact, look lovingly upon what's going on there. And I definitely was the child, and there definitely is a father, and I was doing a good and noble thing, but I was busy about my thing. Whereas now, it's more the child turning to the father and saying, Dad, I want to tell you about something, right? So prayer, think about prayer, personal prayer, personal relationship. Say hello. The second thing that is a good thing to do is then take some time to just receive God's love. Where you're just sitting there in silence and you're just aware of, mindful of the fact that God is loving you in that moment. And then to receive that. God is constantly loving us. And we shouldn't just take that for granted. Oh, yeah, God loves me. You know, that'd be like, oh, yeah, my wife is beautiful. My wife is beautiful. God loves me, you know? And it's not like you're going to be consciously swept off your feet every time, you know, you do this. But I'm telling you, everything's going to go much better if we are just beginning by receiving God's love. Because before we can do anything, God does everything. And what God does is he loves. And what we've been created to do best, if you will, is to receive his love. So go in there, say hello, say good morning, and then just take some time to receive the Lord's love. And even if you don't feel love, to just know the Lord does love me. And he's pouring his love upon me, whether I like it or not. You ever had kids like, you want to give them a big hug, and they're like, I won't let you. Too bad. I love you. That's God. All right. So say hello, receive God's love, and then, sure, do some actual praying. How many of you have heard of Lexio Divina? A lot. Not everybody. Good. Lexio Divina and the R method of prayer. I like to describe these two uh, ways of praying. One is a conversation that we could say God starts, Lexio Divina. One's a conversation that we could say we start, the R method of prayer. So with Lexio Divina, what you do is you pray with sacred scripture. You listen and receive God's word. You meditate on it. You think about it. You say something back to God, and that's Lexio Divina. Very frequently, I will give as penances in confession. I'll have copies of this Sunday's gospel, and I'll just say, hey, for your penance, take this gospel. Just take a minute or two out there in the church to pray your way through it. Listen to what God might be saying to you, and then say something back to him in return when you get to the end. It's a little trick to get them to do some Lexio Divina. Lexio Divina has just changed my life because it's the Word of God. It's the actual Word of God, and it's actually Christ in the Word. And gosh, I just encounter him constantly 
through Lexio Divina. When you pray with the scriptures, when you pray with the gospels all your life long, and you just come to know and see and behold who Christ is, it changes everything. It changes everything. When you not only know that God forgives, but receive his forgiveness in a way through the word, it changes everything. When you've prayed your way through the parable of the prodigal son, you know we have a father who is always ready to welcome us home. When you pray with the woman caught in adultery, we know that Jesus does not condemn us to death, but gives us the grace to go and sin no more. When we pray our way through Peter's denial, we know that the best of us fails and yet can be reconciled to God once again. When we pray our way through the passion, death, and resurrection, we know that Jesus has conquered death, that death does not have the final word, that there is life after death. So think about Lexio Divina like a meal, Thanksgiving dinner. So the first thing you do is you read, you read this passage and you're like, huh, what do I want to eat first? Turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, right? And then meditatio is you're chewing on that word. And then oratio is, mm, this is good. And then contemplatio is the lazy boy recliner in the lions, okay? Pray your way through scripture. And then the R method of prayer, isn't Father funny? R method of prayer. How many of you have heard of the R method of prayer? All right, fewer. We'll spend just a little bit more time on this. How am I doing on time? 28 minutes. You told me no more than 40. All right. All right, R method of prayer. Man, he's so bossy. All right, R method of prayer. This is an IPF thing, or at least they're who I heard it from. Our method of prayer stands for acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. So when you go to pray in this way, first thing you want to do is acknowledge what's on your heart, what's going on in your life. We're not used to doing this. We're used to just kind of doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, let me, okay, rosary, great. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. I believe it. You know, it's like, slow down. Acknowledge says, what's going on? What am I happy about? What am I upset about? What, what is giving me joy? What's a struggle? What am I living with? What am I experiencing? So you first take time before you say anything to the Lord to just look interiorly for a little bit just a little examination of the heart. And then, having come to an awareness of what's going on in one's heart, you just simply relate this to the Lord. Lord, this is going on in my life. I'm excited about this. I'm anxious about this. Um, I need this, etc., etc. And then, to receive love. Because no matter what you tell or give the Lord, be it good, bad, or ugly, He loves in response. Everything you give to the Lord, He loves in response. And the best illustration I've ever heard of this was the centurion who thrusts his spear into the side of Jesus. You know, Jesus is already dead. In fact, the scripture says, seeing that he was already dead. Well, a lot of times the movie is depicted as, oh, they wanted to make sure he was dead. No. The scripture says, seeing he was already dead. Then makes you go, why did he do this? Because it's just this act of violence, vandalism. You're already dead. I don't care. Take this. Just this hateful useless act, how does Jesus respond? Take the last drops of my blood. And he pours that blood and water from his side over the soldier. And uh, one of my directors said, which goes to show you that neither 
human violence nor divine love end even with the death of the Savior. Wow. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. But so no matter what we give to the Lord, if you're ever thinking, I, I don't want to talk to the Lord about this or that, like it might even be an offense to the Lord. No, it's the spear tip. Place it within his heart. Even if you think you might be doing so like in almost opposition to the Lord, because that centurion was in opposition to the Lord. The Lord can do miraculous things with that. The Lord can say, thank you for giving me even that. And I will respond with love. The point of this is to make you realize you shouldn't be afraid of sharing anything that's on your heart with the Lord. He will love you in return. So you receive that love. And then the fourth step, having received that love, love him in response. And, you know, with these methods, like Lexio Divina or the R method of prayer, it's not like you're consciously going, I am in step one now, let me do that now, five minutes has passed, step two, no. You know, sometimes you'll do that just kind of coach you along. But a lot of times I just pray with scripture and I'm just like, oh, I think, I think it's this. I want to focus on this word, this phrase, and just meditate on it. And what are you saying, Lord? And this is how I feel. And I'm going to journal a bit about it. That's great. And our method of prayer, Lord, I'm just, oh, I'm really anxious about this thing. And I need to talk to you about it. The last thing, colloquy. This is the bookend of saying hello. This is saying goodbye, if you will. Have you ever noticed like when you have decent friends, good friends over for like a dinner or you're hanging out or something like this even? Well, let me show you the contrast. My father, Eugene, he's 91, so he can do whatever he wants right now. But even 20 years ago, he's not a phone talker. We've never been phone talkers, but I'll call him and I'll say, hey, I'm picking you up in five minutes. All right. And click. He just clicks. He does not say goodbye, and it drives me nuts. I mean, I know I'm going to see him in five minutes, but at least pay the courtesy of saying, all right, goodbye. So a colloquy is paying the courtesy of saying goodbye. When you hang out with friends and you have a good time, there's always like right before you leave and hit the door, those little words of pleasantry, right? Hey, it was great to see you. Thank you so much. This was a lovely meal talk to you soon. Do the same thing with the Lord. And what I do is do that with all three persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Mary too. And usually, for me, it's, it's usually very brief. It, a lot of times it's words of gratitude. Father, you know, thanks for sending the Son and the Lord, you know, I'll say to Jesus, maybe something related to something I saw in Scripture there, and then I'll ask the Holy Spirit to kind of like help me live this out, remainder of the day. I'll ask Mary to pray for me, and then I'll pray a Hail Mary. And then, so instead of it's just like, okay, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Okay, prayer time's done now. Get up and go. No. Again, just like when you said, hello, I'm praying, I'm praying. Thank you, Lord, for hearing me. And then it's like, hey, this is great. All right, I'll talk to you later today. Pray every day. That's how we're going to have our identity. Oh, one little nugget. I want to share with you from a University of St. Francis alum, Father Brian Eisenbarger. One of the, one of the coolest, I, it may not be his, I'm sure he stole it from someone else, but he said one of the coolest things I've heard him say is, pray every day and live in relationship with the Lord, you know, intimately every day so that when you do die and you go to see him, you can say, hey, I just talk to you this morning. It's like, oh, wow, that just, that just captures it perfectly. So anyway, if we are going to discover our identities, if we're going to just really truly be who God wants us to be, it's going to happen in prayer. Because when you spend time with the one you love, you become the one you love. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and never shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, now we're going to turn it over to some small group discussion. Actually, yeah, one round of applause for Father Andrew. That's great. Thank you so much. We'll start with some Q&A for our speaker. So don't hold back. We were just talking. Please don't hold back on some of these questions. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, my friend Brian's got a microphone. Uh, he's going to be walking around. Uh, if anyone's got a question, this is recorded tonight. Uh, so we just want to make sure, uh, and we're going to put it on our website. Well, keep, uh, keep it PG. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're gonna, Brian's going to be walking around with some questions. So feel free to raise your, raise your hand. We'll do some questions for a little bit. Uh, let us know if you have any things for Father Andrew here. So we've been talking at our table a lot about um, identity and how to root your identity in Christ and about um, those, sometimes how the world feels so loud and there are so many voices telling us this is who you are, whether it's um, our culture or different trends that you participate in and you feel like, okay, I, I, I will belong. I will know who I am if I dress this certain way or act this certain way. Or even um, like going, going deeper, some of, the, um, some of like our wounds and who people have told us that we are versus, you know, maybe our parents or our friends growing up and family members. And so um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit into how to heal those wounds or how to tune out those voices as much to be able to receive our identity just from God. Sure. Um let me talk about the voices first, because this is something that frequently comes up in my discussions with people and spiritual direction and things like that. There are four voices. There's the voice of God. There's our own voice. There's the voice of the world. And then there's the voice of the enemy. And we should only ever really listen to the voice of God, because all the others are frequently mistaken or frequently deceived. and. When you hear voices or think thoughts, and many times you'll notice that that's a disturbing thought or that's a disturbing voice, but, you know, we fall into the temptation of listening to it, you know, giving into it. Try to build the habit of saying, does this sound like the voice of God? Does this sound like what the Father would want to say to me right now in this instance? And if the answer is no, you say, I reject this voice. Have you guys seen the movie A Beautiful Mind? Oh, it's a fantastic movie. And I just realized I really can't say anything effective without spoiling it totally. So go watch the movie and we'll talk about it next year at Theology on Tap. So anyway, the point is, these voices are not going to stop talking. And it's, it's also not that you're going to be able to uh, completely ignore them. But what you can do is you can choose to not indulge them. And that just kind of takes practice. So I don't know if that answers your voices question, but just get in that habit. Does this really sound like the voice of the Father? And you know the voice of the Father. Jesus has revealed the voice of the Father and the face of the Father in the Gospels. So just say, huh, does this sound like the voice of the Father? You know, as a priest, frequently I'll have thoughts of like, boy, you really failed in that thing you did there, right? And then I'll have to go, does that sound like what the Father wants to say to me right now? No. I reject that voice. Or that was the greatest homily any of these people have ever heard in their lives. Does that sound like the voice of the Father? I wish it did, but no. Okay. And then uh, the first part of your question, could you repeat it again? Finding our identity in Christ, and what was it? Wounds. Thank you. One of my, so 
The best teacher of prayer I've ever had in my life is Deacon James Keating. So if you ever get a chance to listen to any of his talks, if you go to discerninghearts.com, which I know they advertise with some degree on um, Redeemer Radio, Deacon James Keating was one of my teachers and formation advisors in in the seminary, in my first couple of years of seminary. Best teacher of prayer I've met in my life. And he talks a lot about wounds. And he says, wounds are precisely where the Lord wants to meet you. Okay? Your wounds can be the place of deep intimacy with the Lord. Christ's wounds are the place of deep intimacy with him as well, you know? He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. Put your finger here, put your hand here, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. So we shouldn't just say, how do I get over my wound and then have it be forgotten? The Lord retains his wounds, you know, after the resurrection. But the wounds can be precisely where the Lord wants to meet us. I don't want to get into a spiritual expose here, but like I have experienced something just in the last couple of years as a priest. I realized, oh, that's a wound for me. Like when a staff member left, and I was just so sad to see this staff member leave. I realized I have an abandonment wound that goes back to when my parents divorced. And one night after a fight between my parents, I saw one of them get in the car and leave. They, you know, they came back. It's not like they abandoned me as a child for good, but I saw that. And that burned like a hole in my heart. And I can, gosh, recall that night vividly. And then I, I thought to myself, when this person many years later was leaving, it's like, why does this bother me so much? Not just that, oh, I'm not going to get to see them anymore. Why do I feel like it's a violation that they, they're not supposed to leave? Oh, it's that. And then that became a place of prayer with the Lord. And then, you know, the Lord goes, let me tell you about the time I said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So wounds you want to show to the Lord. And you want them to be a place of intimacy with the Lord. And the point is, not even necessarily that for them to be healed in that there's no longer any remnant of them, but for them to be glorified, okay? Yeah. All right, just a pious reflection. Can I just um, talk about this last point briefly? Where will I pray each day, when, for how long, how? We were talking at our table, it can feel really structured. And when I was in my first years of priesthood, I would look at the next day's schedule and I would say, I can pray at this time. Okay. And I would then go pray. And that was fine. And that worked for a time. But I realized what I was doing there is like, Lord, where can I fit you in? Now, I don't, I don't think the Lord was like, you really stink because you're only putting me where you fit me in. I think the Lord was just wonderful and gracious and just like, thank you, you know? Um, but then, just kind of like inviting me into something more. This can feel, and I know it did for me too, like really kind of structured. And structure can sometimes feel like it's, it mitigates against the natural. However, like, where am I going to pray? When? For how long? How? For most of us, it's like, well, when it happens. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And at the same time, 
use the analogy of marriage. So I'll bet you if you said to a married person, where will you see your spouse next? They'd have a definitive answer. When will you see them next? They'd have a pretty good idea. For how long and how will you see them next? So, you know, see that as an invitation, perhaps, from the Lord to say, I love where we're at. I love what's happening here. Let's keep that going. I want more. I want our relationship to grow more and more each day to resemble more and more marriage where you've got, you know, a plan. You've got an idea, and I have a plan, and I have an idea for when, where, how long, and how we're going to spend our next period of time together. Before I was a priest, it was kind of like, yeah, it happens, you know? And it was great. And lots of the relationship was there. The relationship was there. And then there was just this invitation from the Lord. Let's plan this out for the next day. And then it became, it really happened when I came to St. John's. Let's have this be our time each and every day, each and every day. For the most part, I do it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I cut it short. I'm just like a husband, right? The heck, what's the matter with him, you know? But if you feel like this kind of resistance to this kind of structured form that's totally natural, and it's okay. But at the same time, just look at how can my relationship with the Lord resemble more something that looks like a marriage? And you don't have to rush it. Just let it grow a little bit slowly over time. Thank you. Um, this is not exactly related, but I was wondering if you could share with us uh, maybe an abbreviated version of your vocation story of how you became a priest. Abbreviated being the key word in that question, right? Okay. Well, just just so it doesn't um, how, how long, go over two, two minutes or five? Two. All right. Um, when I was in kindergarten, I wanted to be a priest. I saw what the priest did, and I said, yes. And then as quickly as kids change their clothes... I changed what I wanted to be. Then it was like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, I want to be in radio. Okay. So I thought about it during kindergarten, first grade, it was gone. I didn't think about it again until really my mid-20s. And I missed, I didn't go to the sacrament of confession for over 10 years at one stretch of my life. Not during priesthood, don't worry. All right. Um, but I noticed, and I, you know, it was like so many of us. I went to Catholic grade school, they take you. I went to public high school, they don't. And then it's like, oh, some time went by and I hadn't gone. And then a lot of time went by and I hadn't gone. And I went through these phases like, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, he knows, you know, but, but, but things weren't getting better. And I said, I either believe in this or I don't. And things are not going well right now. So, and there were other things too, influences from some just great friends. So I went back to confession. And I will never forget what the priest said. I said, Father, forgive me. It's been over 10 years since my last confession. And I'll never forget what he said next. He said, I got nowhere else to be. Exactly. And it's just like, great, greatest thing I ever could have heard. Had a great confession. I knew I was forgiven. Something happened that day. And then sure enough, right after that, I wanted to pray more. I wanted to learn about the faith a little bit more. I wanted to just go to Mass maybe a little bit more frequently. Notre Dame was in between work and home, so I'd stop in there. And what the heck? Why am I having these weird, crazy thoughts about priesthood? It was like a drain had gotten unplugged and grace could flow again. So I lived around the corner from this parish called St. Pius X. And I started going there right after this uh, new priest, these two new priests uh, arrived there, Father Bill Schooler and Father Dan Scheidt. And I just saw how happy they were. And I believed what they were preaching was true and good and the most important thing on earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they lived with depth, and it was, it was very attractive. 
So I started talking to Father Bill, and I said, I've been having these thoughts about priesthood. Ah, come on in. I'll talk to you. (laughs) So he had me be an RCIA sponsor. And actually, before this, I went to an Easter vigil at St. Pius X. And I can't remember if I had been to an Easter vigil before or not. But um, it was it's huge, you know, beautiful music. All these people, like 20 people got baptized. There was a kid, the last person to get baptized, and he had some sort of disability with his legs. And back then in the old church of St. Pius, they had the, uh, the immersion pool, baptismal font that was floor level. You'd walk down these steps to get into it. So Father Bill's calling each person in one by one. Joseph, come into the water. Mary, come into the water. And then he baptized them, and he had this pitcher of water, and he'd fill it up to the brim. And he'd say, Dominic, I baptize you in the name of Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Totally drenched. The place cheers. Alleluia. Trumpets literally blare and everything. Everywhere. So this little kid comes up. He's got this disability with his legs. It's very apparent. He's not going to be able to walk down these steps. Father Bill just reaches over, picks him up in his arms, and says, why'd you have to do that? You're making me all choked up now. And he goes, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the little kid goes, whoa! And everyone's like, ah! And I said at that moment, that's it. That's what a priest is. That's what a priest does. A priest claims people for Jesus Christ. I didn't know if I wanted to be a priest, but I knew I had to go talk to the vocations director who happened to be my pastor growing up. And I saw him at a trivia night at the parish, and I said, hey, Father Gaelic, um, can I maybe come talk to you? And I've learned now as a vocation director, whenever you get a young man says, hey, could I maybe come talk to you? They're thinking about priesthood. So anyway, I said to him, hey, could I maybe come talk to you sometime next week? And he goes, so you're finally going to enter the seminary. I said, how do you know? I haven't said anything to anybody. He goes, I've been praying about it for 17 years. Not just me. There are other guys too, you know. But um, he recruited a classmate and I to help him with the TV mass in South Bend, which was not recorded at a, a chapel. It was recorded at the television studio, and they had a set to look like a chapel. And he said to my buddy and I, we would tell the servers what to do because, yeah, you know, just different order of things because it's for TV. And the priest, he would tell the priest what to do. Well, he didn't need us, but he thought that if he recruited us into that, it would expose us to a whole bunch of different priests and we'd see the priesthood and go, wow. Well, it backfired on him because going to the television station, I wanted to be in media. Then it backfired on me because then I wanted to be a priest. So that's it. I would love to hear some practical pastoral advice from you for um, encouraging people to shift their identities to something positive, particularly when they're caught up in, like they've completely lost their identities, they're caught up in drugs or some dark stuff like that. That's tough because I'm trying to, you know, the temptation is always to think of, oh, this is the hallmark you know, event of that happening in my priesthood that just answers that question perfectly. And I, I don't, I can't, I can't think of, of one. But the first thing that came to mind as you asked that question was the notion that we all worship something. Everybody worships something. It's, it's how we're wired. You know, God has created us for himself. And so we're all naturally ordered to worship God, but sometimes that gets misdirected. I worshiped Notre Dame football for most of my life. Um, (laughs) When I was leprechaun during a pep rally, I said, at Notre Dame, football is a religion, and every Saturday is a holy day of obligation. (laughs) Yeah. It was horrible to say that. So anyway... We all worship something. So, I don't know, the first thing as you asked that question was, 
maybe to just kind of probe with that person what do they what do they worship what are, what are they fascinated with what do they want to give their hearts to and maybe to talk about how does that thing truly satisfy that's a tough question that's a big question do you have thoughts or experiences of like um like as you ask that question do you have your own kind of answer to it or start of an answer well i guess i encounter a lot of people like that with in my work and the first thing that they really need is to know that they're seen and that you care about them yeah you hit the nail on the head peter craft one of my favorite writers and he said if your car broke down in the middle of the night Instead of a mechanic showing up and telling you what's wrong with your car, you'd rather have a friend come and sit with you through the night. And so, yeah, just let them know that they are seen and understood and just start off by sitting with them through the night. What's been your happiest moment during your preset? Is there any one thing that you can point out and say this? Yeah, it happened in October. I went to the Holy Land for the first time in my life and got the great grace of looking forward to it for two years because COVID, it was supposed to happen a long time ago. So it was something I anticipated for a very long time. And I went, goodness, with my spiritual father, Father Bill Schooler, just told that story. And then one of my spiritual daughters, Karen Eckrich, who's currently my secretary, who was a teen in the Life Teen program I participated in at St. Vincent's. So from year one of my priesthood, I've known her and just been a spiritual father to her. Well, they both went on the trip. So it was great just to be with with the two of them in particular and, and a lot of other, other great people. And Father Bill, coincidentally, providentially, baptized Karen as an infant when he was the pastor at St. Jude's. So then we're back at the River Jordan, and she is renewing her baptismal promises in front of him while kneeling in the River Jordan, and I just get to sit there and, and watch. So that was great. But the, my favorite moment, happiest moment in my life, I'm not getting emotional. It's the beer coming back up. All right. <laughs> Our last full day of the Holy Land trip, we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, the church built over the place of both Christ's crucifixion, Golgotha, and his resurrection, uh, the place of the empty tomb. And Schooler and I have been switching back and forth, you know, who's going to be the presider and the preacher at the Mass, and the other one would read the gospel. So, it worked out. The last day was my day to preach. And I was like, wow, I'm going to get to preach at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's cool. Then like two or three days before, our tour guide said, you're going to can celebrate Mass with the Franciscans at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And, you know, at first, one of the thoughts that went through my head was like, oh, okay, that meant they were going to do everything. And we'll just can celebrate. And it's like, I'm in the Holy Land. I got nothing to complain about. So the tour guide was like, is that okay? And we're like, yeah, perfect, okay. Yeah. But then um, the night before, um, the tour guide says, we have to get up at 4.30 in the morning because we're going to do the Stations of the Cross early enough so, first of all, no one else is around and we got the place to ourselves, but also so, so that we can be there for Mass at 7 a.m. at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre because you're going to can celebrate Mass inside the empty tomb. So you have in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre this little chapel built over the site of where they laid Christ and where he rose from the dead. And so our entire tour group is gathered outside around the, that little chapel. And before the Mass, uh, the Franciscan priest was so gracious. So it's this solemn sung mass where everything's sung from beginning to end and it's all going to be in latin and all this stuff and he says but for the benefit of your group 
we'll do the liturgy of the word in English. Do you have someone from your group that could read the first reading in the psalm? Yes, we do. And then he says to Monsignor Schooler, would you like to proclaim the gospel? And he says, yeah, certainly. Would you also like to preach the homily? And he says, let him do it. And he points to me. So the liturgy of the word starts outside the tomb. And I'm literally preaching the resurrection of Jesus where Mary Magdalene first encountered the Lord. Then we go inside the tomb for the liturgy of the Eucharist, and it's small, and it's just the three of us priests, and there's an altar over the stone where Jesus was laid, and we're praying the Eucharistic prayer over uh, that very place. And then for the sign of peace, well, we gave each other the sign of peace, and then the priest shows the people the host. Behold the Lamb of God, behold. So the priest took it outside the tomb so he could show it to the people. And at that moment, it was just Schooler and I. Like, we were the only people in the tomb by ourselves. We were just looking at each other like, what is going on? And we touched the tomb or the stone. It was awesome. Priest comes back in. Then it's time for communion. So we self-communicate. We receive communion. Then pick up a saboria, and I grab my saboria, and you have to duck down underneath the, the entrance to the tomb. And as I duck down, I'm looking, and I'm like, you are doing it again. You are walking out of the tomb alive again. And you do it every day. You do it in every church. And we talk about the church, the mass, is the representation of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I was, it was like he said, I want you to come back 2,000 years and walk out of here with me. So practically every time I've gone now from the altar to the aisle to give people the Eucharist, I think of that moment. And not only think of that moment, it's the same moment. The Lord is walking alive again. Something that was dead, crushed wheat, has been transformed in something alive. The living body of Christ. And he's walking to his people to give himself to them. That was the happiest moment of my life. And I loved it so much, I came back and I said very humbly, Bishop, would you be open to considering a sabbatical one day? They got this awesome program in Jerusalem, 13 weeks. And he said, yeah, do it. So in a couple of years, I'm going to be able to go back and just spend three months there. Na 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 na. <laughs> If anyone ever wants to go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, I will happily be your chaplain. It was, yeah, when I saw that picture, I'm like, That's, it looks like Galilee. Yeah. Goosebumps. Uh, thank you so much, Father. And that gave me goosebumps to hear from that. Uh, thank you again, Father Andrew. If maybe one more time, round of applause for Father Andrew.